G'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Monday. All the best bits from the Mike Hoskin breakfast on News Talk ZB and a sillier package, Iron Glen ZB. Hey, why haven't they finished rebuilding Christchurch yet? Uh, should we just be giving all the cops guns? The Facebook scam Mike's been embroiled in, explained sort of, and uh, the latest skills shortage to deal with. But before any of that, um, are the All Blacks really as good as they looked the other night? i tell you what I'm also thinking, that some people might have made a mistake on the business of All Blacks. The All Blacks, particularly the Brits, and it was interesting to listen to Alex Bysouth about uh, 20 minutes ago going, oh, I think the All Blacks are going to be too good for Britain or England. They might well be. But I think that we're looking at the All Blacks as a side that took on a side that we expected so much more of. We were looking at the All Blacks taking on the world's number one side. They're not the world's number one side. They haven't been the world's number one side for at least a year, if not longer. Something's happened to them. Doesn't matter what. They're just not what they were. They were hopeless in pool play. They came out of the pool second. You don't come out of the pool second to face the All Blacks in the quarterfinals if you can avoid it. They couldn't avoid it. Why? They're no good. So we took on a side that wasn't that good. And we looked better. When you beat a side that's not that good, you look better than you are. I thought England looked as good as anybody in the tournament, but I'm getting texts from people going, oh, England weren't up much. You could argue that England were playing a similar side to Ireland. Australia aren't that good either. So it's going to be fascinating. I think it's 50-50. I, I mean, think you Nigel's were encouraging like... things. For example, Aaron Smith uh, stopped complaining to the ref all the time and decided to pass the ball. And brilliant. So that was good. Brilliant. Yeah, he, he played the, his best game of the we tournament. We got no so injuries far. either, by the way, apart from one. And um, and I thought Bowden Barrett looked amazing under the high ball, which he hasn't always done in the past. Yeah. So I think we've got. I think we. I think I think we're the best side in the world. But what I'm saying is that that we got excited about beating Ireland, and we shouldn't have because Ireland are no good. And I just don't know why people weren't weren't realising that England are good. England are a very 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 good side. Man, we completely waste Ireland and yet still criticising the All Blacks for not necessarily being it's just hard being an All Black isn't it? Uh, hard getting anything done in Christchurch by the sounds of things. Housing is not a numbers game. There is way more subtlety, nuance and sophistication to it. Simply knocking up a house then grabbing a young family and plonking them in it isn't real. And that is one of the major reasons why Kiwi Bill didn't work and it's why the same problems that sunk it still exist in Megan's new world. I was astonished last week, watching another minister, Jenny Celesa, wander around a prefab factory, espousing the virtues of knock-together housing as the future of New Zealand home production. Housing, you see, is emotional. Location's critical. Size is important, along, of course, with the cost. The government is just fixated with the cost alone. They've commoditized the problem. If we can produce a box that you can afford, they think that's all there is to it. Surely the fact the houses that have already been built that haven't sold tells them all they need to know. If the problem was simple math, why didn't the supply get met by the so-called demand? Prefab housing in certain parts of the world, notably Germany, can be clever, it can be efficient, but in a country where the quarter acre and the bungalow is part of the psyche, even getting most of us to consider an apartment has taken years. Living in a shipping container which is what a lot of prefabs basically are, is not only not an answer, it certainly isn't the future. After all, not only don't you have a crisis with queues of desperate people lined up to take anything with a roof, you're asking these people who are locked out of the market to actually pay for this stuff with their own money. These aren't freebies. They're not giveaways. A sensible person and their money, especially on deals with hundreds of thousands of dollars, are not easily parted. We adjust our lives to our circumstances and our needs and, of course, our desires. We have a vision for ourselves. And although most won't articulate it out loud, a factory-built box isn't it. 
And until the government get it, they're going to have a lot of for sale signs and a massive political headache. Yeah, I wouldn't mind living in a box. As long as I've... I've always said this, as long as I've, I've got... Um, a, a fast internet connection for my online tally and the ability to melt cheese on things. I'm happy. Um, they, they will never have to send the armed police after me. One can assume that the police and their day-to-day dealings of increased gun violence are doing so with people that perhaps haven't got around to giving their weapons up at one of the many buyback shows that they put on for just such an action. Could we suggest, in fact, that the only people who have given up their guns are law-abiding sports people who never bothered the police, never caused any trouble, and certainly never sat on the net getting radicalised? In theory... And this, of course, is where the buyback has gone so hopelessly wrong. In theory, the police should not be launching armed gun squads because all the bad weapons have been collected up and destroyed. Wasn't that the point? Anyway, here's here's another simple reality. Anyone who's travelled knows this day was always coming. On the streets of Sydney, London, Los Angeles, the police are armed, have been for so long that they must have looked on in wonder that we still let our constabulary walk into danger with a pair of handcuffs and pepper spray. I have the most extraordinary respect for the police. They do a relentless and largely thankless job, and they are in ever-increasing danger. What it must be like to head into Lord knows what on a dark, miserable Saturday night where any combination of guns, drugs, booze, mental instability face you behind a door or a fence. These people do what we wouldn't dare touch, and a gun as much as we might like to hope otherwise, is a tool of the job. It is what is required to be effective. And from the dark side of what they're dealing with, it brings a level of respect, if not fear. We have lived in a deluded state, basically, with the sense that the bad guys are scallywags and a good reprimand and perhaps a warning down at the station fixes everything. This is a small world, and we're interconnected in a way we can't escape. The world's dark side is ugly and getting uglier. The fact we've thought that guns are an unnecessary extravagance has only ever been to the bad guy's advantage. I was interested to see that part of the advantage, apparently, of having the the cops with guns just around and about the place was that they wouldn't have to go back and get their protective gear on, i.e. helmets, flak jackets, that kind of thing. Uh, So I wonder if the cops who are going out with the guns to get shot at without that gear on feel as happy about that as Stuart Nash seemed to the other night. I don't know how these things work. I, I certainly don't fully understand how this Facebook scam worked either. Let's get to the bottom of the scam. So if just to bring you up to speed, my face has been on a series of Facebook scam ads for a number of months now. And we've rung Facebook over and over and over and over and over again. And they reluctantly seem to take them down when we alert them to it. And their best form of defence is to simply say, we can't do anything about it. You need to let us know, which is the stupidest form of running a business I've ever seen. We don't do it on this station. You don't. We don't rely on you to ring us up and tell us when we say something or do something wrong. We monitor these things to put out in the first place. Every business operates the same way, except, of course, Facebook. So anyway, we finally got to the bottom of um, how this thing works. It was started by a guy called Asher Burke, who runs a company called Ads Inc. He's a 27-year-old. He was involved in the Republican Party of San Diego. He was the deputy political director of the Republican Party in San Diego. And it's a very simple and yet widely used scam. In fact, this particular version of the scam is the biggest of its kind in the world. Now, it involves you renting your Facebook account to somebody else. The account rental violates Facebook's uh, terms of service, of course, as do the deceptive ads. But let me come back to that in a minute. Now, you've seen the ads on Facebook. They're the images of people, for example, Peter Jackson's been caught up on it. 
And they claim a celebrity has been caught saying or doing something scandalous that puts their career or life in jeopardy. In my case, it's been I've been arrested or I'm giving interviews about Bitcoin. The ad leads to a web page that mimics a media brand like TMZ or Fox, but that's all fake. The fake celebrity scandal hinted at in the ad is the hook that gets you to click. So you can be pitched with whatever appears to be a no-risk-free product trial for a small price. Like they say, look, for just $4.99, you can get in on this. Within a week or two of making that particular payment, another much higher charge appears on your credit card because they, you, have been enrolled in this monthly subscription. And the trick to it is you can't basically get out of it. It's a harmony, they say, of attention capture, speedy digital advertising, audience targeting and optimization, clickbait, User interface design, e-commerce, and insatiable greed. Greed is what drives everything, basically. There are millions and millions of victims of this all over the world. So in places like America, they use Willie Nelson, Sandra Bullock, Tom Hanks, Morgan Freeman, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Phil, etc. They also target other countries, Canada, Australia, the UK, Singapore, Denmark, and New Zealand, and they use local popular celebrities there. And in this case, in this country, they've used me. Now, for example, Tim McGraw. Headline, Tim McGraw, country singer, Tim McGraw held in custody. That particular scam, they spent $44,000 advertising that scam, but they made 79000 so you spend some to make some. Peter Jackson was involved. Legendary director Peter Jackson arrested on multiple charges. Now, they spent $34,000 advertising that, but they made 71000 Now, the important thing about this is, firstly... You leasing out or renting out your space on Facebook is against the rules of Facebook. But as the investigation points out, this is BuzzFeed who have done all of this, the size of the operation raises very serious questions, and this is what we've been arguing on this program all along. The size of the operation raises very serious questions about the company's ad review practices. In other words, they don't care. This thing is massive. It is international. It involves millions and millions of people and many more millions of dollars. It is the biggest thing they've ever seen on the net. And yet you think to yourself, where the hell is Facebook in this? Uh, They don't care. They're not interested. And when you tell them, they started taking the ads down. But as I've just found out this morning, as somebody's emailed me, I'm still up there. Everyone's still up there. Facebook don't care. They're not interested. So it's the old thing. Buyer beware, or in this case, user beware, because you'll be had. And Facebook couldn't give a money. The, um, the BuzzFeed article on this is really well worth a read. It's quite entertaining um, in, in a disturbing way. Uh, this, this bloke and one of his colleagues, they have this amazing discussion o- over Slack uh, when uh, a sort of a rival dodgy Facebook scam business uh, gets busted by the feds and they think they're, they're next. It's like something from a movie. It's really amazing. Uh, we're going to finish up uh, with the latest skills shortage. See those numbers over the weekend? The Restaurant Association report came out. Hospo's on fire in this country still. And here's the, here's the weird but sad sort of stat. Seven new hospitality businesses open up in this country every single day. Seven new ones every single day, but also every single day six close down. So we're growing by one a day. But what they need is another 55,000 people over the next five years. 55,000 people to work in hospice. So there's your good news. So tell me why the job seeker benefit those who are work ready, government's words, not mine, work ready. How come that's up another 10%? How come there's 140,000 people on that benefit when there's so many jobs in hospice? Because really, all I want from you, if you are working in hospitality, is to bring me water when I first arrive and um, see if my drink is empty. And if it's empty, come and offer me another drink. 
Is that too much to ask? Is that too much to ask? I'm BNCB. Got a little bit carried away at the end there. It was a re-wrap. Calm down. See you back here again tomorrow.